Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch, and welcome to Ovicast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you insights, advice, and technical updates for the sheep industry. In the current episode, we're going to focus on vaccination. It's certainly topical at the moment, not least because many flocks out there are considering vaccinating their ewes at this stage of the season. I'm joined by Charles Chavas, he's a technical veterinary expert for Zoetis Ireland, and he's going to discuss various aspects of vaccination with us. Charles highlights the real importance of safe handling and administration of vaccines and how that can impact on their efficacy. He also discusses the process of pass immunity from the old to the progeny and the duration of cover of various clostridian vaccines. We finish up discussing how to identify issues on a farm or where a vaccination program may help reduce some of these. We start off, however, with Charles explaining the vaccination process and how it works and some of the differences between those commonly used vaccines at farm level. Vaccination is a natural process in a way where we're trying to stimulate a natural process inside um, an animal. And animals have immune systems, as do we. So the idea of a vaccination is the fact that we go and stimulate that immune system and the vaccine turns on that protection system. So vaccines don't actually protect the animals per se. They turn on a natural protection system within the animal. So what we're doing is we're exposing the animal an antigen, which is frequently a protein or polysaccharide, um, which has been uh, modified or adapted from um, a disease uh, pathogen. Okay, and what it will do, it will make uh, antibodies. It'll make um, cell-mediated immunity as well, so uh, special white cells that basically can clear up an infection. So as a result, the animal then knows how to fight off that disease when it's exposed to it uh, in the wild play, in the, in, in the wild effectively. So you know, it's, 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 we're stimulating a natural um, process within the, um, within the animal. Now, uh, look, it's certainly something that's very topical at the moment for, for obvious reasons with the pandemic, but um, I suppose maybe as an outset, Charles, like it's one of the big wins in terms of animal health for us, in terms of reducing the incidence of various diseases. I suppose one of the real ones we focus on at this stage years are clostridials and possibly pastorellas, but it's a kind of a no-brainer in terms of improving animal health at farm level. Absolutely, Kieran. And um, the clostridial vaccination has been around for years and years and years. And, you know, clostridial diseases are diseases that actually are almost impossible to treat. Um, they almost invariably uh, result in sudden death for various reasons. But, you know, so, you know, it is a real classic case of prevention is better than cure. But just on the, you know, how topical this is, this is topical at so many different levels. I mean, obviously, we're all worrying about when our you know, relations um, and our friends and people in the front line are going to get the vaccine for the COVID because there's a disease which we're doing our best to control by other methods, but we've all been hanging out for the vaccination. But then again, at a farm level and at a human level, the vaccination of animals reduces the amount of antibiotics we need to use on farms. And that has huge implications um, too. And you know the clostridial diseases We've been using these vaccines for a long time. Now, interesting enough, clostridial diseases are caused by a toxin. So the bacteria multiplies, produces a toxin, and then the toxin is what causes the, um, the disease. So we actually take some of that toxin, um, alter it slightly, inject it into the animal, and that's what gives you the, um, the, 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 um, um, the immunity. Um, and without it... Um, you know, the clostridial diseases, we'd unfortunately lose a lot of lambs, a lot of yos, and a lot of cattle as well. So um, they've been around for, ooh, clostridial vaccinations have been around for 40 or 50 years, I imagine. 
Um, so they, you know, they, they're, they're, they're well proven, um, but they do have to be used in the right way. Um, and that just it brings us to another point. Like, not all of the vaccines at farm level, like we talked there just about the clostridial ones, we'll come back to them, but you know, we have abortions for our vaccines for abortions that might be single shots, some are double shots. There are differences, Charles, in how them vaccines work as well. You might, you might just tease that out a little bit for me. Very good point. I mean, I mean live vaccines um, are, often can be just a single, a single dose. So you can get away with giving a single dose of the vaccine. And what it will do is because it, it's a live vaccine, that means it actually multiplies within the animal and it produces in a response so we can get away with a single, single dose. But the challenge with live vaccines is they have to be handled very carefully. All vaccines need to be handled carefully, but particularly live ones, because it's a biological system. It's a live system. So if it gets too hot or too cold, it's going to cause problems. It need, they generally need to be stored between four and eight degrees centigrade, um, which is simple compared to what we've got to do with the COVID vaccine at the moment, which is down at minus 70 or thereabouts. So, you know, we, we're, we're fortunate that it, we don't have to do that. But uh, the, the sterility is really important. So they need to be, you know, delivered with, you know, sterile needles, sterile syringes, um, they, the shelf life is also really important in the sense that they don't last forever. Um, so you need to be conscious of all these things as well. So, and actually interesting, you touch on those abortion vaccines and been, uh, the two abortion vaccines we've got have very short shelf lives. So they're almost, you know, made to order, not quite, but you know, you need to get in with your order, you know, a month or so before you need it. And once it's supplied to you, the, the vet practice will ring you up and say, right, your vaccine's in and you need to go and collect it, you know, in the next couple of days and use it, um, straight away. It doesn't have a long, um, shelf life. In just, the clostridial vaccines are more straightforward because they do have a, a decent um, shelf life. But just to follow that point on, like you, you mentioned there with the storage, you know, the old adage of things laying in front of a Jeep, uh, they are sensitive to that temperature change. And maybe just if you take us through that for a bit more detail, and even from when, we, from, from when we open them, Charles, like the window of um, from starting opening that bottle to actually using it, is quite Correct. is quite narrow. It's very narrow, and even with a robust vaccine like clostridial vaccine, they won't tolerate sitting up on the dashboard in the front of the jeep. Uh, so when you buy it, they, they've been delivered to the the veterinary practice or the pharmacy in a cold chain. They'll have been stored in a fridge. You need to take it home and stick it in the fridge. And it's something I often say to people: the place in the fridge you should put it is in the door of the fridge where you might put the butter. You know, the door. And the reason for this is we know that's going to be the right temperature. Often people put them down at the bottom, at the back, out the way and all the rest of it. But occasionally things will freeze down at the bottom. And even the clostridial vaccines, they don't tolerate freezing well. So you don't want to, 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 to freeze them. So that's, that's one point. When you go to use it, you should take it straight from the fridge, take it down to where it's going to be used. Okay. Now, with the live vaccines, like the abortion vaccines, you often have to mix those. The moment you mix them, you've got to use them in, in about two to, two to three hours. It's very, 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 very rapid. The clostridial vaccine, you have a little tolerance. It's only eight hours though. No, you can't put it back into the fridge with sealing wax on top of it or with um, candle wax or with a piece of uh, insulating tape, which, you know, we've all heard stories of people doing that. But once the bottle has been opened, it's good for eight hours, the clostridial vaccine. Um, so that's something people need to bear in mind with. And they, the ultimate aim of any of that is any of them things that's going to reduce its efficacy is going to limit how valuable it is on your farm. So it is a significant investment. So you really do have to get them steps right. 
Absolutely, Kieran. I mean, like, you know, um, you know, if we, it, there's no point in, you know, wasting it effectively. Um, so, um, you know, you, use them properly. Check the label. You know, I mean, like the label is in there for a reason. Um, you know, so for instance, getting the right dose rate is really important. And sometimes some of the vaccines are slightly unusual because they have a different dose well, the first time you use them in Covex and eight will be one of those vaccines where, you know, the first time you use it, you'll use a larger volume of five mils. And then as a booster, you just use two mils. Um, I, I, I'll come back to that with you in a minute because it brings up another valuable point. But the other thing you mentioned here, like the sterility of how we're given these vaccines. So it, it's one thing in our handling them up to that point. And again, obviously, we'd recommend anyone administer wears correct PPE. But the needles that we're using, using automatic vaccination guns, like all these other little things can have an influence on the effectiveness of the vaccine and possibly, you know, maybe subsequent infections in sheep as well um, as a result. Yeah. The um, sterility is crucial for making sure the vaccine works, but also so that you don't do harm to the sheep as well. So um, if an abscess or an infection forms around a vaccination site, there's a very good chance the vaccine actually won't work properly. Worst case scenario, the animal can actually get sick. And we've even had deaths after clostridial vaccine when the needle has been contaminated or the injection site has been contaminated. So we want to inject into a clean part of the, of the, of the, of the sheep. And with sheep, actually, it's very straightforward because the fleece actually keeps the skin very clean. So it's a case of parting the hair on the side of the neck. And if you do that, you'll find nice, pink, clean skin. For some reason, there's a notion out there that actually a clever place to vaccinate sheep is under the uh, axilla, which is under the armpit. And people will be turning sheep upside down and trying to inject in there. It is not a clean sight. It is greasy. It is dirty. And the actual act of turning a sheep over means you're flicking dirt around. Make life easier for yourselves, lads. Let's just put them into a race. Good and Keep them good and tight. Part the fleece. Clean needle into the skin there just you know make sure you go under the skin you don't inject into the fleece but go under the skin but the skin is lovely and clean there and when you're using one of those automatic injector guns i'd say every 15 or 20 animals you ought to be changing the needle to a to a clean needle and if for some reason the needle comes in contact with the race or you drop the um the, the injector or something like that happens change the needle when you're buying your vaccine please ask your man for plenty of needles Needles cost buttons, um, and it's worth just having plenty of uh, needles there. The other thing about it is, actually, it's easier. Sharp, you know, any, like anything in life, a sharp tool, easy to use. Sharp needle, easy to use. So, you know, make sure you've got plenty of needles. And you're trying to reduce any abscess or any secondary infection. Look, the, I, I know you've talked about this previously. For smaller flocks out there that aren't using maybe some of the automatic vaccinating guns, the need to maybe use two needles or certainly not introduce any infection into the bottle. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a small sheep farmer, Kieran, so I'm doing this all the time. But I use what I call a two needle injection technique. So what you do with that is you take a sterile needle and you stick it into the top of the bottle. You then have your one or two mil syringe because generally it's a small dose volume. So then you draw up the dose, which whatever it is, one or two mils, but let's just say it's a one mil dose. So you draw up your one mil dose. You then disconnect the uh, needle from the um, syringe, leaving the needle inside the bottle. So it's still stuck in the bottle. You then have a second needle that you connect on and you then inject the sheep with that second needle. And then what you do is you disconnect that needle, reconnect to the needle in the bottle, draw up the next dose of vaccine and move on like that. The reason why you're doing that is because when you inject the first sheep and you stick the, the, um, um, 
needle you know through the fleece into a clean piece of skin there is a possibility you could pick up a small bit of infection if you then put that needle back into the injection bottle you've just seeded that bottle with a small uh, level of infection which means now that the next say there's 100 doses in the bottle the next 100 sheep are going to get a um get potentially get a bacterial infection there um so that's the reason for you know using the 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 the, the two needle um technique and just being really conscious about hygiene just to, to go back to one we've mentioned there, like the clostridia vaccine is a good example of one where we give a primary shot and a booster to get them enrolled on a program but it's probably one of the steps that can kind of we fall down on the farm level and there is certain vaccines are single shot as you mentioned What's the, the rationale behind that primary shot and the booster shot? And the need to get that protocol right when you're starting on any of these new uh, vaccination protocols or programs. And you're right, clostridial vaccination is a really good example of this. When you first inject an animal for the very first time, it's never been exposed to it before. It starts to generate antibodies and it starts producing these memory cells. Okay, And those are produced and it takes about you know four to six weeks for those to be produced. If you then step in four to six weeks later, the memory cells say, oh, hang on a minute, been here before when they when you next time you inject it, think, oh, I know exactly what to do here. And it goes and makes lots more antibodies, lots more um, uh, um, memory cells. In other words, it's learned how to combat this disease. And as a result, you get a huge, great production of antibodies and huge production of these memory cells so that when the animal then meets the toxin in the wild, it basically doesn't meet a bleep straight away. It's deactivating that toxin because we know that toxin is going to work really quickly. So you need a rapid response. And that's what happens. And also because you produce so many antibodies and so many memory cells, they do break down over time, but it will start to give you the 12 months. If on the other hand, you vaccinate an animal and you then leave it and you forget about going back and giving the second shot. And this is really common in bought in hoggets. You buy them in in October and you don't do anything about them in November. December, January, and then you think you're going to go and inject them at the same time. Four months later, you go in, four to five months later, you go and inject them at the same time as the yos. What's happened is the animal system has forgotten how to make the, the antibodies are gone and the animal system memory cells have all gone. So it's like you're starting off again. So it's really important that those two first two injections are four to six weeks apart. And then after that, you get away with just doing it once a year because you've got so many more memory cells and so many more um, antibodies there. And when you mention once a year, it'd be very remiss of me not to mention the rams on the farm because they're often the one category that, that get ignored, Charles, at this stage of the year. A very good point. And the thing is that they're, they're very, they are frequently very, very valuable as well. But when I buy a ram, um, I would always, you know, when it comes onto the farm, I actually give them 24, 48 hours to settle down. I then give him his vaccination, his first clostridial vaccination. Then I give him a second vaccination four weeks later. And in reality, that's often in August and September. Um, and then he's going to go out to, um, to do his work there in, 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 in October. And then I'll go and boost him again in February when I'm doing all my yo's. Um, so he does, you know, he gets quite a lot of vaccination the first, in the first year he's there. And then after that, he's just on an annual uh, vaccination program. But again, given the investment and the cost, it's a minor investment for them. Like, just to follow the clostridial story for a moment, certainly we're protecting the yos themselves or the hoggets or the rams themselves, but the idea of the passive immunity is really why we put in the focus at this time of the year. Charles, what is passive immunity and how, is that, how does that work effectively to protect our lamb crop? A very good question. An absolute essential thing for both 
you know, uh, all ruminants, so both lambs and calves, when they are born, they have no immunity. The moment they are born, they are going to be exposed to challenges. So whether that's muck on the ground, whether it's um, clostridial pathogens, there's all sorts of bugs that they can come in contact with the moment they are born. And the way nature copes with that is that they get the colostrum from the, um, from the yo. The yo has been in that environment for a long time. She has made lots of antibodies, particularly as we've gone and given her a booster injection a month before she uh, lambed down. So we know it's just brimming with clostridial antibodies. Those antibodies are absorbed as long as the animal gets plenty of good quality colostrum within the first two to three hours. So it absorbs those antibodies. So now it's got lots of antibodies inside its, um, uh, its system. So that should it meet... Um, uh, a clostridial toxin or should it meet a nasty e coli uh, toxin or, or e coli bug it can neutralize that and what happens is it gets all those antibodies on day one and those antibodies actually start to break down so that by the time the animal is anywhere between six and 12 weeks of age actually the protection has waned is just worked away and that's when we need to start thinking about vaccinating it for the first time in its own right but vaccinating the yo is exactly the right way to go. But we must also make sure that she's in good body condition and produces good quality colostrum. And we make sure that that lamb gets up and either sucks plenty of colostrum or we stomach tube, strip um, colostrum and stomach tube it. But it's really important that it gets the colostrum to get the benefit and to get the protection. I think it really highlights the importance of why it needs colostrum from the yo, or at least other yo's in that flock that have been vaccinated. Um, if you yeah. do have to rely on, on any substitutes. Like you mentioned there about going in with the lambs and enrolling them in a protocol afterwards. The one thing about clostridial disease, the challenge is oftentimes farm specific. And we do see a lot of variation throughout the country. I know it's something you've discussed before. Um, monitoring losses at different times during the year as an indication of what you need to cover is something relevant in particular reference to clostridial disease. It is. Um, I think it's important in all animal diseases. Um, farmers are remarkably resilient. Um, you know, they are incredible. And they put up with bad weather, losses, um, various bits of hardship. But the reason, part of the resilience is making sure you don't have a long memory. And what I mean by that is the fact that and in, throughout my professional life, I have worked with farmers who've gone through nightmares, either at lambing or calving or whatever, and will have a nightmare during the spring and by the time we get to September, October, and I'm saying to him, God, you know what? That wasn't great. We must do something about it. Actually, it wasn't too bad now. Come on. It wasn't too bad. Oh, we only lost a few. And they forget how many animals they lost and how much hardship they went through with the treatment and all the rest of it. So it is actually a really worthwhile thing to basically have a whiteboard up in the lamb sh lambing shed or record it on your, on your phone, but write down every time an animal either dies or has to be treated. You know, even if you know, it doesn't have to be any fancy detail dead lamb because if you start seeing clusters of dead lambs uh, or clusters of uh, sick sheep that having to be treated you then can then have a conversation when the pressure comes off and say okay that wasn't great was it things happened things were grand in february um, um at the beginning when we first started lambing but by god when we got to the end of march it all went pear-shaped what happened why did that happen and we can then talk about it. But when you're in the middle of that storm, it's very difficult to come up with a plan. The time to sit down and talk about that plan is in sort of 
September, October time, you know, when we generally have a little bit more yep. time on our hands at that stage. Um, and then, but we've enough, but, but don't be suddenly talking about it beginning of um, March because we may have missed the opportunity. Do you understand me? So, you know, make sure you get the plan in, in, in place. Look, uh, you've touched on many things on that. Making use of services to your local vet, you know, the regional veterinarians, getting the root of that problem because it kind of brings us back full circle with why vaccination is important. You may not be preventing the condition this year, but you're certainly trying to put something in place to prevent it for the subsequent seasons. Correct. Vaccination in the face of an outbreak is frequently disappointing. It, it's, it's all you, the only option you've got, but it's really, it's a warning to say, right, I tell you what, we've got to put a plan in. It takes time because the animal's body has to, it's not like using a worm dose, which goes as a chemical effectively kills worms. Uh, what you're doing is you're stimulating a natural process within the animal. And as we said, that can take anything from four to six weeks to, for that stimulation to, um, to, produce the, to produce the result. Your point about the regional veterinary labs is really well made because again, if you are having animals aborting, there's no point in telling someone six months later you had a lot of abortions. We need to get those aborted fetuses into the regional veterinary lab as quickly as possible. And don't just take in the fetus, take in a bit of cleaning as well. If you get a cluster of dead lambs, you know, you're losing a number of lambs, again, drop them into the regional veterinary lab to, um, to, to get some um, post-mortem results so that it can tell you what you should be vaccinating. Looking from the outside, I mean, sheep in fairness, and we all know this, they, they can die very quickly sometimes and they don't always leave a lot of clues as to why it happened. The pathologist can frequently, in looking on the inside, can get the, get the answers or get some clues as to what's going on. And then we can put a plan in place as to what we're going to do next year to make sure we don't go down the, um, the same path again. Charles, really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much for that. It was very useful. Not at all, Kim. Anytime. We're going to finish things up at this point. Again, I would like to thank Charles for taking the time to be with us. He covered many aspects of vaccination and indeed we could have kept him for a lot longer discussing other aspects of how the process works. It's one of them ways we can reduce some of the instance of morbidity and mortality at farm level and it is something that should be considered. But before we embark on it, you should discuss with your vet, your advisor, what ones are most appropriate for your farm and certainly where any issues occur this spring as worthwhile as Charles Highlighted getting some follow-up work done with RVLs to determine if there is an issue and would vaccination help. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for any updates on Sheep Programme, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chaga Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and listen in to any of our episodes.